don't know what I'm going to do when I run out of videos from this guy. <laughs> Well, good morning, everyone, or good afternoon. Uh, happy you guys are here as we are on our final talk of our series titled The Prophet and the King. If you have missed any of the previous series, we just launched a podcast, uh, which is which is, is the name of the podcast, where you can catch up on all the previous talks here done at the aid, or you can share with a coworker or a friend. Instead of watching on YouTube, now you can just get the audio file just by subscribing to the podcast itself, just by typing in SaintMarkATL.Church, and you can find it on all these different podcasts available uh, for you. So that way you can have the audio automatically pushed to your phone using any podcast app that you want. Let's be real. Life is hard. Life is hard. Life is super hard. Life hardly ever goes as planned. Like many of us, it's good. Like I'm a huge planner. I'm a huge, like I'm very strategic on, on, on my schedule and how I do things. But we plan a lot of things. We plan a lot of things and we have a lot of dreams. But let's face it, not all our dreams, not everything that we want actually occurs. Because life is hard. Plans are great, but reality hits. And reality is greater. And things usually don't go as planned. I can give you tons of examples from my life. I had big plans of, of, of going to pharmacy school in Atlanta and all this kind of stuff, and then God completely flipped that around. I had plans of, of continuing as a dentist, but obviously that didn't, that didn't work out. We all have different plans, and we have all of different dreams, but reality hits. Life ever goes as planned, because life is tough. And maybe for a lot of us, we feel that God owes us something. God owes us something. You know what? I raised my kid right. This should not happen. You know, I've kept myself pure. This shouldn't happen. I've kept myself faithful to God. This should not happen. A lot of us feel that God owes us something. Because I did X, God should be doing Y to me. And we have this natural transaction mentality that sometimes we feel that God owes us. And nothing's worse than when we see our dreams happening to other people and not us. And it's only natural that a bitterness builds up inside of us. Of why would God do this? Like, I've done my part. And where is God? A lot of us have felt that at some point in our lives. If you haven't, stay tuned. But the best part of, 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 us, look, of us looking at the historical life of David is that we can relate to him. And he had great dreams. He had great plans for his life. But the reality hit, and things really didn't go as planned. And the question that I want us to talk about over the next 20 minutes, what do we do when our dreams can't come true? What do we do when our dreams can't come true? Over the past several weeks, we've been looking at the, at the life of David. David was given a huge promise that he would become the king of Israel. Like, he became a national hero as a teenager, and he became extremely influential, extremely popular, and God made it very clear to him what his plans were. But things didn't really happen as it was intended to happen as we looked at the life of David over the past few weeks. And the mistake that David did, which a lot of us do, is that things are not going my way, I'm going to take control, and I'll do something about it. And we step into the driver's seat, and we start making decisions based off emotions, based off things not happening my way, and we start taking control, and we looked at David's life, because I end up making emotional decisions, because I snap and do this, because I want to take control, and things are not going the way I intend it to be, 
things end up coming a lot worse than it originally was. And we clearly saw that in David's life. But even through David's bad decisions, even through David's bad decisions that he made one after another after another, like our tagline is that he's a natural hero, but he's also a flawed man. And even through his mistakes, he never forgot one internal truth, one divine truth, was that he understood that I am a king, but I am not the king. He understood that he is a leader, but he understood he is not the leader. He understood that he is a king, but he is not the king. And because he understood this so clearly, that even through his mistakes, he never, fall, he never fell to complete destruction because he understood that I'm just a king belonging to the king. Let's fast forward now David's life. He's now been a king for decades. Now he's in his 50s. He's not the cool, young, popular king anymore. So there was another battle that was coming his way of, of, of another foreign army trying to attack the nation of Israel. And usually the tradition is of, of the king is the one leading the army to go into battle. But, you know, he's in his 50s, 50s back then. I mean, you're, 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 you're a geezer at that point. So he's an old guy at this point, And he's saying, I'm, I'm going to stay back. I'm not going to battle. And he sends Uriah, and, who is one of his top leading army officials, and other people out and to, to go fight the battle. And he decides to chill and says, I'm going to hang out here in my mansion. There's no need for me to go. I'm getting old or whatever. So one day, David is just hanging out on his rooftop of his house. And he sees Bathsheba, a beautiful young woman, bathing, taking a shower outside. Of course, that catches David's eyes. He's the king. He's in control. So he sends a message to his messengers. Hey, go tell that girl that's, that's bathing. Tell her to, to just wrap herself with a towel and tell her to come over here. And, and you can't say no to the king. Maybe you can say no to a prophet. You can say no to a priest. But you can't say no to the king. And they were telling him, well, David, you know, you know she's, she's married. David said, bring her to me right now. She came. An affair occurred. But David's king. He wanted to take things under his control. He's the king. He can do whatever he wants. So the husband of Bathsheba, his name is Uriah, which was David's top official general in the army. David gets what he wants. He's the king. He feels he can take control. So one mistake led to another, led to another where he says, you know what, I want Bathsheba as my wife, I'm going to take her, so I need to get rid of Uriah. So he sends Uriah out on these intense, fierce battles, trying to increase the, trying to increase the, the rate or the, the risk of Uriah dying in battle. So he keeps on putting Uriah in, in these battles by himself. He tells the other soldiers to step away from Uriah once he's battling, so that way he can die in battle. David ends up getting Bathsheba pregnant. David feels he can still take control. I'm the king. I can do what I want. I'm the king. I can take control of the situation. Uriah ends up dying in battle. He ends up trying to marry Bathsheba and take him as his own wife. David tries to fix the problem that he made by saying, I'm the king. I'll marry her. Everything's fine. Uriah is out of the picture. He's dead. The husband's out. I'll take control. And he ends up trying to fix the problem himself. He, he learned from his mistake, and he wrote great, beautiful poetry, which we know as the songs from his mistake that he made. But we have to face reality. He did repent. He did realign himself back to God from his mistake. But the reality of our natural world is every sin comes prepackaged with consequences. Every sin comes prepackaged with consequences. 
He made a mistake. He made a sin. Of course, God completely forgave him. But there was consequences that ended up impacting his life, his children's life, and the nation because of that mistake that he made. Of him trying to say, I got this, I'm in control, I know what I'm doing. Nathan, who was the prophet, the messenger of God, came and told David this. This is what the Lord says. This is what Nathan is saying. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity on you. You did it in secret. Now, now God is telling David this. You did this mistake in secret, and you're trying to cover it up. You did this in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before Israel. You tried to do this sin. You tried to do it in secret. You're the king. You feel like you can cover this up. You feel like you can marry her, and everything will be happily ever after. You're trying to create your own ending. You did this in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. God is saying, David, you think this was just like whatever sin you got this, you put under control, everything is fine. But you have no idea how this is impacting. You did this in, in, in the night. This is going to, to, to reveal itself in the day and not just impact you. It's going to impact your kids. It's going to impact the nation that you lead. Then David said to, to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. Nathan says, God has accepted your repentance. You're wanting to renew yourself. He's, he's, he's accepted your repentance. We all make mistakes. But the reality is every sin comes prepackaged with consequences. Just to give you an example of how sin is prepackaged with consequences. One of David's sons was named was Amnon, or Amnon. His name was Amnon. Amnon had, the, the, this sounds crazy, but you can read all the details you want in the Bible, that he wanted to sleep with his stepsister. He wanted to sleep with his stepsister. And Amnon ended up raping her and ended up sleeping with her. And there was, ended up being this huge tension and conflict that occurred in David's family. But what did David do about it? Of course he was frustrated. Of course he was extremely upset. But he could not do a single thing because he lost his moral authority. He lost his moral authority. His family knew, his inner circle knew of his mistake and how he tried to cover it up. But he lost his moral authority as a leader to try to correct the mistake that is going on in his family because of his mistake. And it led to consequences in his family because of his mistake. One thing led to another. Amnon, who ended up creating, who, who ended up raping his stepsister. The other brothers ended up killing Amnon. And the one that ended up killing him, his name was Absalom who ended up being like one of the leaders of one of the older sons from David's family, who was next in line to be king. And his name is Absalom. The other brothers come and kill Abner because of what he did to their stepsister. What does David do? Nothing. He lost his moral authority. We fast forward now to this older son, Absalom. As he's becoming older, he's next in line to become king. But he wants to become king a little bit sooner than, than, than expected. He's not going to sit there and wait. So he ends up spreading rumors that he is the king. Like back then, there's no like CNN, there's no like, you know, Google News to see like who's the leader, who's, who's king. Like in order to, to let people think that you are the king, you start spreading rumors all around town that you are the king. And this is where we read in the manuscript. Then Absalom, who, who is the oldest son of David, sent secret messengers throughout the tribes of Israel to say, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpets, then say, me, Absalom, is king in Hebron. 
messenger came and told David, the hearts of the people of Israel are with Absalom. So now we're in this tension conflict point that's occurring in the family. That David now is king. He just heard a rumor that his oldest son is spreading rumors all around town that he is king. And what does David do about it? Then David said to all his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, Come, we got to get out of here. We must flee, or none of us will escape from Absalom. We must flee immediately, or we will move quickly to overtake us, or he will move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin on us and put the city to the sword. What is David saying? David's saying, Listen, things are not that great between me and my son. Because of past mistakes, because of other conflict and tension points that we had in our family, things are not that great between me and my son, Absalom. Now he's spreading rumors that he is king. You know what? For my safety, we need to get, me and my group, we need to get out of town. Because now Absalom is spreading these rumors that he is king. I need to save my life. I need to get out of here. I've lost my moral authority because of my mistake. There is con continuous tension in my family, and there's nothing I can do about it. I got to flee. And once again, David is a fugitive. Once again, David is running for his life. But now he's not in his 20s. He's in his 60s. We can relate to David. That we're in this isolated point, in our low point, trying to, trying to protect ourselves, trying to save us. This is where it becomes tempting to, you know what, to relieve this pain, maybe we try to, 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 to use this drug or try to run to this, this habit or this addiction to try to help ease the pain inside of me. And we end up relying on pain relievers, even though it's not helping with the pain. Instead of taking things under his control like he did in the past, instead of David trying to say, you know what, I'm going to take control, I'm going to talk to Absalom and try to fix this, he learned from his mistake instead of him trying to take control. Now this is a wiser David who learned from his mistake. When he was a fugitive in the past, he tried to take things under his control. I know what I'm doing. I can fix this problem. But now, he's kind of shifted. And look at his mentality now. The whole countryside wept out loud as all the people passed by. The king also crossed the Kidron Valley, and all the people moved toward the wilderness. Zadok, who was, who was a priest, was there too. And all the Levites who were with him were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of God. So now David's people, David's posse, David's group is leaving out of town. And, one, and somebody in his group, his name was Zadok, which was the priest. And they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant. Just to give you some historical context of the Ark of the Covenant. Maybe one of us know it just from Indiana Jones. But the Ark of the Covenant is the symbol of God. The Ark of the Covenant represents God being present with them. So they took it very serious. So Zadok now is the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant with a group, and they're all fleeing. And there's this complete tension and conflict and, 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 and just destruction happening around the city because people don't know what's going on. It's Absalom king. He's spreading rumors. Absalom saying that he's king, but I see David running out of town with the Ark of the Covenant. What is going on? Then the king, David, said to Zadok, take the Ark of God back into the city. David is telling Zadok, the priest, listen, I, like we're fleeing. I want you to go put the ark back in Jerusalem. Yes, I know, I know things are going down in Jerusalem. I know my son is saying that he's king, but I need you to go take the ark of covenant, which represents God. I want you to go take that back. We're not sticking with us on this journey out of here. David says this. If I find, if I find favor in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back and let me see it 
and his dwelling place again. But if he says, I am not pleased with you, then I am ready. Listen to his last line. Let God do to me whatever seems good to him. David is still kind of king. He's in control. He could have changed the narrative completely of the situation. But he said, you know what? Priest, you take the Ark of the Covenant back. If God wants me to see it, I'll come back and I'll see it. If he doesn't want it to happen, so be it. If he finds favor with me, then I'll be able to see it. But if not, that's his will. David understood that it's not my will, it's thy will. This is what makes David an unbelievable leader. That at this point, look at all his other mistakes where he took control of his mistakes and took control of the narrative of his life. But he reached a point where he has every, every right to say, I'm taking the Ark of the Covenant, I'm in control, I'm the king. He could have easily done that. But he says, if this is God's will, let it be. If he wants me to come back as king and bring everything on peace and for me to go see the Ark of the Covenant, great. If not, let his will be done, not mine. David chose not to abandon God. When it appeared, God chose to abandon him. At this point, he could have easily said, I'm going to take things into my own hand. But at the point where he needed to rely on God the most is when he said, it's not my will, it's thy will. Pause the story right now. What occurs next? I want to share some, a side story that occurred within this narrative that we have from the life of David. Absalom now is trying to build up his kingdom here in Jerusalem. And he's now one, he's spreading rumors that he's king. So one of his advisors, his name is Ahithophel, or in, I think in Arabic, Ahithophel. Ahithophel was one of the advisors of David back in the day. Now he's advising Absalom as Absalom now is acting as if he's king of the kingdom. And Ahithophel is trying to bring down the kingdom. Ahithophel is whispering in Absalom's ear, saying, listen, let's go chase your dad. He's running out of town. Let's just kill him. Let's end that story. Let's kill your dad. Then we can move forward. You're the king. I'll be your advisor, and everything will be perfectly fine. Ahithophel is now whispering this in Absalom's ear and saying, just get rid of your dad, and we can take control, and everything will be fine. And Ahithophel is trying to cause more tension, more division within David's family. Just to show you the beauty and the depth of our ancient faith. We say prayers in our church to bring unity. Because by nature, we're all selfish. By nature, we say, I don't want to talk to that person. I don't want to see this person. I'm not going here if that person's there. That are, that's our selfish desire and our selfish reflex. I, we we, we kind of do that. But if you look at our ancient prayers that has existed for centuries, it's all about unity. How can we be made whole? How can we continue to be grafted together as a church family to each other and ultimately to God? But if you notice our prayers, and it is, Lord, just unify us. Lord, help us not to be selfish. That the church throughout the centuries has referenced this story to kind of unify us. Just give you an example of a prayer that we either say out loud various times in our services or the priest says it inaudibly. When we are praying for unity for the church, we pray this. Satan and all his powers, Lord, trample and humiliate them under our feet speedily. Satan and all his powers, trample and humiliate them under our feet speedily, God. Disperse their counsel, the Satan's counsel, O oh God. Just as you disperse the counsel 
of Ahithophel. <coughs> Ahithophel ended up not being a good advisor for Absalom. He actually ended up committing suicide. But we say, Lord, just as, Absalom, just as Ahithophel was trying to, just trying to create tension and separation in David's family, Lord, we, we, that same spirit that Ahithophel want, that had, Lord, we want to trample and beat that down as well. We don't want any division in our church family or in our households or in our community or at work. That, that selfish desire, we want out. We want out the door. And we reference this ancient manuscript recorded in the Old Testament. We reference that for 2,000 years in our prayers, saying we want unity. And any, if there's any selfish desire, just like Ahithophel had, Lord, trample that, and we want to beat that down under our feet speedily. Going back to David now. Even with all of David's flaws, even with all of David's flaws, at this point where he could have easily said, I'm in control, I'm still king, he could have easily said, I'm going to kill my son because I want to be king. But he understood, you know what? I might be a king, but I am not the king. Bottom line is this. The foundation of our identity, the foundation of our faith, as far as following, following the fullness of life, the foundation of our faith is not answered prayers or happily ever after endings. David could have easily said, why is, this God do, why is God doing this? I've been king. I've been faithful to him. I've wrote all these nice things for him. I pray to him. Since none of this is happening, forget God. But the foundation of his faith was not answered prayers. The foundation of his faith was not happily ever after ending for him. The foundation of our faith cannot be that as well. Our identity cannot just be wrapped up of God does this, does this, or that. If, if I do this, then the next thing is God to do this is a natural transaction. Then I would continue to follow him. The, our foundation of our faith cannot be based on answered prayers or happily ever after endings. It has to be something so much more than that. It has to be for me to understand that I am a king. I am a king to the king. I am a leader in my house, in my relationship, in, at work. I'm a leader to the leader. My identity, my foundation cannot be just based on answered prayers. Because there's someone above my intellect that knows more than I can see. There is someone that's above time, space, and matter that's in control of all. This is what makes David great. We all have problems. We all have hardships. We all have dreams that end up not happening. But just because our dreams don't happen, our plans don't come in the picture, doesn't mean that we step away and say, where is God? I don't need him. I'm done with him. God is still working in every aspect of our lives, in every event, if we realize it or not. Because it's not my will, but it's thy will. Just because I don't see it all, doesn't mean that he is not working through it all. Maybe David's life didn't end this happily ever after story that we think it would. But through his conflicts, through his tension, through his hardships, he understood that I am just a king to the king. And this is what made him amazing as a leader, as a national hero, even though he was a flawed man. You know what's the best thing of David's life? Here's a little reason why this meeting is called the eight, why this gathering is called the eight. Through David's lineage, through David's lineage, 1,000 years after this event has occurred, 1,000 years after this event has occurred, there came a man 
to restore humanity back to how it was intended to be. And his name is Jesus. A thousand years after this event, and just 40 miles away from this event as well, came Jesus to renew and to reset humanity. David was chosen to be a leader. His dad was Jesse. He had tons of other brothers. But he was appointed by God. He wasn't the oldest son. He was the eighth son. Through the eighth son, and through the lineage of this eighth son, humanity was restored. Humanity was reset. The fullness of life came through the lineage of this eighth son. Through his vulnerability, through his openness, through his poetry that we have in our Psalms, we can relate to him. We can relate to his, his poor decisions, his emotionally charged decisions. We can relate to him saying, you know, even at a point where he can take control, he said, you know what, it's not my will. It's thy will. And through him, we've all gained life. Through his lineage, because we, through his life, we're able to, to learn from his mistakes, and through his life, and through his hardships, and through his lineage, we receive the one who is the fullness of it all, Jesus himself. Going back to the very first psalm from our very first talk that we had, that resonates with all of us in our hardships, of David saying, not my will, but thy will. And you, Lord, my God. This is David's words. And you, Lord, my God, I put my trust. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God, my Savior. Not me. Not me, not just because I'm a leader, just because I'm king. You are my God, my Savior. And my hope is not in my intellect, not in my way. I got everything in control. My hope is in you all day long. This is the prophet and the king. So hopefully when we see this, this historical figure, or we read the Psalms, and we kind of think of this is just a holy man that just had like a halo around his head and had everything, all, his life all put together. His struggles were real. His struggles were raw. He made mistakes that we make, make mistakes. But through it all, he understood that I'm, that's not my will, it's thy will. Let's stand up for prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, every single one of us go through ups and downs in this life, where we have dreams and hopes and desires and, and prayers that we send to you. And, and when they don't come fulfilled and we realize how hard life is, Lord, help us for that not to just shake us down to the ground. Allow us to realize that it's not my will, but it is your will. Help me to realize that the foundation of my walk towards you, my foundation of my pursuit of you, is not just based on a transaction of you answering this prayer or you doing this or that, but it is so much more. Just as David had every right to take things under his own control, he understood that it's not his will, but it is your will. Lord, thank you for preserving all these details and all, the, all this historical manuscript that we have from, from David's life. Because through it, we can relate and we can put ourselves in this story and learn from his mistakes for us to continue to find you working in our lives through the prayers of all your saints, especially King David, the prophet, and the king. Lord, hear us as we pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but the rest from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. All right, thank you guys. Hope to see you next week as we begin a new series and life group in eight days.